Hello and welcome back to another episode of That's What People Do. It feels like it's been about 17 years. I'm James, uh-huh. as always. In my head, I was like, I'm going to change the intro this time. And I haven't. I've just done exactly what I always do. And I'm joined by Ryan. How are you, Ryan? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm quite warm still. We had a nice like week of just lovely rain, which is more sort of my weather. It's still raining here, yeah. But like, we've had a lot of thunderstorms. Quite it's quite humid. I don't like it. Sticky. We always talk about the weather. Very British. Speaking of being British, I think we should probably address the queen-sized elephant in the room. This is the first ah. episode we are recording since Queen Elizabeth passed away on Thursday. Yeah. I don't yeah, really know what our king. listeners are expecting us to say about this. Um, I think based on our conversations, they might be quite surprised about what we have to say about this. Because we've I, been quite anti-royal and quite vocal about it for for many years, especially on our Queen Elizabeth episode. I think we really went in on her, bless her. But ever since the turn of the funeral, we've just had this conversation. Our opinions beginning to change, Ryan. Yeah, well, one thing I felt, and I, I said this, I, I've said this to loads of people, and I definitely said it to you as well, James, and I think we put it in our post on Facebook, maybe, but, like, it, it, it feels like the loss of a distant relative, where it's like, I don't have any immediate, like, sense of pain or loss or grief, but it's quite still sad at the same time, almost like, you know, like if someone's nan dies and it's a bit sad, and you're like, oh, that's a real shame, like, oh, I feel for you, like, I almost feel for the nation, Some those that are feeling sad, I, I feel for them to a degree, so I do get it, and I even, I'm not joking, I actually got a bit teary-eyed when oh they played the, when they played the Paddington Bear little clip that she does. Oh, um, that was cute, that was jubilee. cute. Yeah, it is, isn't it, cute. and I thought, even more poignant now that she's dead because Paddington is, you know, it was to say, if anyone doesn't know, Paddington Bear is a famous British uh, icon from years ago when even my mum was a kid. Uh, he loves having a marmalade sandwich. He's a little bear, keeps marmalade sandwiches in his hat and he meets up with the Queen for a 70th Jubilee, which was only this year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, June. Very soon. Um, and... Um, there's a the queen likes to do these little like video bits sometimes and they're quite funny that she likes she does does seem to get like getting involved with a lot of them and she sits opposite paddington bear the animated bear character and um yeah it's all really lovely and sweet and cute and innocent and then he just sort of just takes off his hat and he says um you know thank you for everything and she says you're very kind and then that's kind of it and obviously watching that the day after and everyone's being all sad. Everyone's wearing black. All the television broadcasts have changed now. You almost you feel very much in it. And it's surreal. Seeing, it's sur- yeah. I, I think for what might be fascinating, fascinating for our non-UK listeners to hear is how this country has actually changed. It's actually fucking weird. It, it the whole country has genuinely changed. It feels like there's a massive cloud over it. There's it does doesn't it? Pictures of the Queen on every bus stop. London Underground isn't showing pictures of like their shows, these advertised shows and museums and stuff. It's just all pictures of the Queen. I went into Sainsbury's and you know you do your smart shop as you go in, you get the little handset. They were all black. Um, oh wow! The BBC. I haven't heard a happy song on the BBC radio for fucking ages. Um, BBC oh. One's just being obliterated. Yeah, do you know? So BBC One is just a twenty-four hour news broadcast currently. Uh, ITV is also that there are no adverts for like these programs at the moment all adverts have been suspended for these tv television programs and on the radio um and as james was saying the radio is the biggest thing for me at the moment it radio is turned shit there is no uh wet ass pussy being played there's no <laughs> there's no rap or any R&B kind of stuff almost being played because this is a genuine thing this is a protocol of the British like 
government and whatever when the queen dies no radio station uh, is allowed to play obscene music all the music has to be quote respectful so it's just it's just constant ed sheeran and cold play and it's boring yeah it was a bit of Celine Dion yesterday what i heard but this is oh. going to be the case until next monday a week today when her funeral happens it's I don't know, man. It's strange. And obviously it's dividing people because some people think it's fucking nonsense and other people think that it's really beautifully respectful. As for me, I'm a big football fan and they cancelled all football at the weekend. I thought that was a bullshit decision. Um, I, I thought that was complete fucking nonsense. I don't understand why they did that because I don't see how forcing people to be at home and be sad is any better than people getting together in a stadium and singing the new national anthem. Yeah, well... For those that don't know, the reason that uh, that the nation's game was cancelled is because the government doesn't trust uh, football fans who are famous for being rather volatile, uh, and they genuinely believed that uh, during their minute silences for every game, that football fans would boo the Queen and it would be a national embarrassment, a global embarrassment was the quote. But then they're going ahead this weekend, although I think the Liverpool game got cancelled. So I'm, I'm out in Liverpool fans. They definitely meant Liverpool fans. And I'm not saying I disagree with Liverpool fans, but those are the ones who will have a tendency to boo the national anthem mm. um, alongside Celtic fans, which if you want to go into politics and religion, maybe they have a good reason. I don't know, but this isn't an episode on the Queen, is it? I'm sure that's for another time. No. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a massive thing that obviously has just happened and as, and as you and I were talking before we started recording it's a moment in history that we are currently living through as Brits and it's a very interesting period and I think it is good to bookmark and talk about these things and this will forever be immortalised in this episode it will be yeah it will be I, I loved it I've, I've watched every basically every fucking minute of it I don't know why I've, as a lover of history I'm just enjoying it for that historical aspect but as they were going through Edinburgh today walking up the Royal Mile I just loved it because I was like that's one of my favourite places on earth and I was watching mm. my mum being like I've been in there I've been in there the cathedral where she, yeah. she's currently lying as we speak I was like I've been in there I've walked around yeah yeah no I, feel I was literally there a month ago and it's so bizarre seeing it how different it was like a month ago during the festival it's so busy the city's bustling and alive and then today it was like you could hear a pin drop some of it yeah mental the the country's lost its fucking marbles the funniest one for me is when uh the met office said they weren't going to tweet the weather for a week or whatever that was <laughs> baffling and, and what and, and the biggest shock of all as i was telling james before i started recording my work my company that i work for in their infinite wisdom has decided that they will close in respect for the queen on her funeral um which stunned and shocked me when i found that out <laughs> that is everywhere's closed isn't it apart from i'm in a different boat because i'm traveling to germany on the day of the funeral and i've got to travel through central london um so if everyone could just not do that and go there that'd be great because i've got trains to catch and i feel like i'm going to be held up by the public and tourists i'm actually beginning so. to question your patriotism james on the day of the queen's funeral you're bugging out to germany it's, it's i'm true to my principles i'm getting out of here i'll be back on the wednesday though i'm only going for two days but it's just really inconvenient for me but who's t oh well anyway <laughs> let's crack on with the episode shall we yeah yeah um you're gonna have to forgive me because i actually wrote this quite a while ago and usually when i write things it's very fresh in my mind but i, d I think i finished writing this about a week ago and haven't looked at it since so this is gonna be new information for me <laughs> So today's episode is on Alan Turing, which I think, speaking of the Queen and, and British institutions and people that helped this country, Alan Turing is probably up there, definitely up there, maybe higher than the Queen, depending on 
your views on history, but Alan Turing is arguably one of the greatest heroes of modern history, a genius mathematician who saved as many as 14 million lives during the Second World War. Now, if you've ever watched The Imitation Game featuring Benedict Cumberbatch, you'll know where this story goes. But if you haven't, you're going to get a bit of a surprise. But let's dive into the life of Alan Turing, one of Britain's most remarkable people. Ooh. Alan was born on June 23rd, 1912. He was born in London. However, his father was a civil servant in India. The decision was made that a child is safer growing up in Britain as opposed to India. And in 1913, Alan's mother and father ventured back off to India, leaving Alan and his brother John with Colonel Ward. It's safe to say Alan and Ward did not see eye to eye. Ward was a military man who wanted Alan to be a man's man. He got his wish there. Mm. Whereas Alan enjoyed his time alone, reading. Most of Alan's young life was spent being screamed at until his mother Ethel returned and decided to send him to boarding school. This was Sherborne Boarding School in Dorset. Alan was expelled from this incredibly religious school. He was a math prodigy, however useless at Latin and religious studies. However, his mother convinced the school to keep him on, which, thank he fuck he did, because then mm. he met a lad called Christopher Morecambe. Alan took an instant liking to Christopher and began following him around. Eventually, the two were inseparable budding mathematicians. Alan, at this point, knew that he had a romantic feeling for Christopher. However, it was unrequited. But this isn't the start of some sort of great heartbreak story, because Alan didn't mind at all. He loved Christopher to the point where he his romantic feelings didn't need to be matched. He just wanted to spend time with the person he loved most in the world, which I think is adorable. Yeah, I like that. He almost like, he he knows, he knows it's not going to work. Yeah, so he's just enjoying the uh, the presence of Christopher. Yeah. What is it? Love is not about possession. And I oh. think Alan, Alan did that I like in that. bucket loads. That's very Buddhist of you. It is, isn't it? It is. I'm I'm very wise. <laughs> You're so humble. <laughs> <laughs> I am very humble. Right, February 7th, 1930. Christopher collapses due to tuberculosis. And on February 13th, he passed away. He wasn't even 18 years old. Okay. Naturally, Alan was devastated and these events would change him forever. He renounced his Christianity and began trying to prove the existence of ghosts in order to try and reconnect with Christopher. Love drives you to some weird places. I get it. Yeah. Alan moved to King's College in Cambridge. He would graduate with a first in mathematics. Clever boy. And he would create an application to the... Fuck me, here we go. Oh, I should have looked at the pronunciation of this before I started this episode. <laughs> Entscheidungsproblem. Entscheidungsproblem? Maybe. Yeah. I'll rendezvous with my German contingent after the episode and see how I did. Just just type in Entscheidungsproblem. I don't fucking know. Basically, he wanted to make the process of computing numbers easier by creating a machine capable of doing it. Essentially, Turing created the first ever computer as we know and we love today. Naturally, as with most big ideas at their first creation, he was told this simply wasn't feasible. He would then move to the USA to continue work on his idea. After this, he would return to the UK in 1938 and join the British code-breaking branch, with the intention of staying just for a year and then move on to teaching. However, as the majority of our episodes seem to fucking happen, World War II gets in the way of his plans. Hooray! And this is where Turing would cement himself in British history as he took on Enigma. But this is a big point. How many of our episodes get to a point where it's been like, and now we get to World War II? Yeah. It's, it really, really did shape a lot of people's lives. 
I mean, it's one of the biggest events in human history. It is hard to ignore, it is. and and it's one of those. Uh, is what's is it? What? Who, mm, I'll start again. There's that saying that says, uh, I believe it's about like Roman times, isn't it? And it says that um, hard men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times, and the circle goes on and on. And it's one of those mm, yeah, where yeah. World War Two is one of those hard times creates great men, and it's just so many of the people that we talk about happen to just have uh, World War Two seems to have shone the light on these amazing people. Obviously, there's some bad people too, but <laughs> the majority of them oh, yes. have been fantastic. You know, like Mad Jack Churchill. You're like, oh, that guy without World War Two. I mean, yeah, he had some bits before, but in World War Two, we wouldn't be talking about him if you hadn't done that. Enigma was the Nazis' way of sending messages that seemed impossible to decode. Created in 1918 by Arthur Sherbus, Sherbius, fuck knows, it essentially looked like a typewriter. I love, these episodes are really well researched, aren't they? I just say fuck knows about this man's <laughs> name, fuck knows. You would input the message you wished to send and it would turn it into nonsense and it could only be deciphered by someone with their own copy of the machine. Now, this machine was then purchased by the German army, but as the saying goes, loose lips sink ships, and Poland got their hands on a slightly shitter version, and in 1939 they gave this version to the French and to the British. Turing would spend the war at Bletchley Park, which is where Britain's codebreakers were housed. So the codebreakers had a version of the the Enigma machine themselves, but the issue was the Nazis would change the codes daily. So without these updated codes, the machine they owned could only intercept the messages and not decipher them. Uh. And this is why they needed the genius that was Alan Turing. They needed to find a way to quickly crack the codes on any given day. One of the Nazis' initiatives was to starve Britain. As an island nation, we rely on food being imported which is a big thing about Brexit as well, but let's not go there. So if ships carrying this food were sunk, Britain would be fucked. So Turing was tasked with creating uh, something that would crack the naval messages. This was a highly important job. And now we get on to Joan Clark. She was also a codebreaker with Turing, and they would become firm friends. Again, referring to the film Imitation Game. I imagine a lot of people have seen it because it's Benedict Cumberbund, and people love him, and he won an Oscar for it. I, Benadryl Cumbersnatch. I have not seen Benna. the Benedict Cucumber film not? Imitation Game. I've not. It's a, no. I hadn't until I decided I wanted to do this episode, and then I watched it, and I, I thought it was a good film. There's a lot of inaccuracies, but it's a good it's film. It's on my list, but yeah, no, I haven't got around to it. No, I'd recommend it. But in the the imitation game, Joan is given the job based on her correspond, like responding to a crossword puzzle. It almost seems in the film that they put a crossword puzzle in the newspaper, and if you complete it, you ring the number, and then you get bought in to get a code breaker job because you're clearly a genius. In reality, this wasn't the case for Joan. Crosswords were genuinely used to find code breaks in World War Two, so that's pretty cool. I mean, but but Joan wasn't one of those. I was going to say, like, yeah, that's really cool. But then surely you just get a room full of. 60 year olds like just sat there i think that's genuinely what happened yeah and then when they get there they're given like further tests and then it's based on that that. it's funny i was gonna say that like i would be rubbish at this because i can't even do a crossword i'm just rubbish at puzzles i need to do if it's like i don't know a basic crossword i can but some of the questions my nan used to do them some of the questions are fucking mad and the one thing that i just i cannot stand is fucking riddles i cannot do riddles to save my life you know there's that old greek stories of the sphinx the riddle of the sphinx and like if you get it wrong you get killed oh yeah i would be killed immediately you die i can't do it i can't do riddles my brain doesn't work that way 
Well, I'm never taking you with me to the Sphinx. (laughs) So, Joan accepted Alan for exactly who he was. She accepted his homosexuality and his slightly odd personality. They even got engaged, as this would appease both Turing's sceptics and also Joan's extremely overbearing parents. However, they soon realised this was just never going to work and called the engagement off, but they remained firm friends. Joan was originally hired to be a secretary, because woman, and despite being a maths genius herself, the genuinely she went there with the knowledge to be a co-breaker and they were like, no, no, you're going to be a secretary because you're a woman. Brilliant. <laughs> However, they soon realised that she was far smarter than the vast majority of the people around her and she was on the code-breaking team. However, because she was a woman, she was only paid a fraction of what her male colleagues were paid. Oh, how it echoes today. Yeah, down with the patriarchy. (laughs) So, commenting on Alan's personality for a moment, and this is something that, again, differs from the imitation game. Uh, In the film, he's depicted as heavily autistic, um, and he's incredibly unsociable and difficult. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I'm not... uh, Research, like, people who knew him, he wasn't the most normal of men but the way in which the film did it makes him seem fucking really on the spectrum and it, it, it wasn't the case um, I'm not saying he wasn't difficult because he was he literally locked his mug up to a radiator so no one else could use it <laughs> but I think he was more petty than anything else yeah. because he was sociable like he'd always go out for drinks with his friends he'd go dancing just just a massive nerd but yeah the way they like um, I believe Benedict Cumberbatch won the Oscar for this, and I don't know. It, it's historically inaccurate. He wasn't as autistic that's, as the film made him out to be. The problem with a lot of these films is that if they're they're that good and they're played and portrayed by such a fantastic performer, and then they go on and win an Oscar, then people will take that as history, and it's not always the case. No, they have to embellish it to make things interesting. Yeah. But I, I don't believe making him autistic was the thing that made the film interesting. No, it probably isn't. It's probably just a character uh, quirk that possibly helped Cumberbatch get into it. I don't know. But um, yeah, that seems a bit yeah. unfair. It, 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 it was. It was. So Britain became increasingly close to starvation. In fact, it's very hard to imagine how close it actually got. Obviously, rationing was brought in long before, but the Germans were doing a very good job of destroying the supply lines, and things were running out. But then, Turing, Joan, and the rest of the crew made a breakthrough. They developed a technique called bansburismus, probably butchered that as well, which which broke the naval enigma. This meant they could find the locations of German U-boats and redirect supply ships to avoid attack. Winston Churchill himself was greatly impressed and knew that Turing and his team were a vital part in defeating Hitler. He offered them unlimited funding to do with as they pleased in order to crack further codes. In 1942, American code breakers needed help, so Allen travelled over to the States to offer his advice and support, but then in 1943 Britain needed him back. The codebreakers were cracking around 84,000 codes a month, saving millions of lives. Due to the tide of the, t- uh, tide of the war turning and Turing being a roaring success, he decided to display to the world his true self and was openly homosexual. Ooh, what he year was, is that? He was never... This was 45. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you've got... When I say openly homosexual, he wasn't flaunting it, but he also wasn't hiding yeah, like it. it. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's not Pride Month, but then he's not like keeping it inside kind of thing. But then I was thinking like... 45, you've got that classic famous image of the American sailor kissing that girl on Times Square. Like, yeah, yeah. 
I just, yeah, I imagine Turing kind of trying Which that. Which by today's standards is sexual harassment because they didn't know each other. Yeah, isn't she like 14 or something? Yeah, you can't just grab someone and kiss them. I don't care what war just ended. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure this person did fight, but a lot of them, I swear, just wore uniforms because they were clerks and they were like, yeah, don't you know, I just fought a war and then like, <laughs> get into my bed, lady. Yeah, I imagine a lot of men cashed 100%. in on that. I mean, yeah. How how many? I swear, there's like um, one of those episodes of like long lost family, and it's like it's the um, the babies born of American GIs that came to the UK that like they guys got no fucking business being dads. They just wanted to bang, and now they've got kids in the UK that they're no fucking clue about. And then like I see some of them, they've hooked them up with their like American families, and they've gone over there to like meet them, and they're like, oh my god, it's amazing to see you, and like. I wouldn't even want to do that because you'd be like, yeah, my, I, I just just understand what's happened. You're like, yeah, I know my dad didn't want to be with my mom. They just wanted to get down one night after they were dancing. It was literally a quick yeah. shark, yeah. I ship out tomorrow, I think is the famous line. Oh, that's line. it, yeah. Be like, oh, man, you might not ever see me anyway. again. Yeah, and for most, they did not. Yeah, fair. So Alan was told to never talk about his work at Bletchley Park and was given an OBE. Uh, in the film, again, weird, Turing develops this machine that cracks the code and he calls it Christopher after his first love, which obviously is really nice, it's romantic, it's really heartfelt, um, but it, that didn't happen again. So Turing took the original machine given by the Polish and improved it with a man called Gordon Welchman by making it look for likely letter combinations and eventually cracked the code that the Nazis were sending. It was it was genius what he did. I can't even begin to fucking explain it because I don't understand yeah. it. But if you are a maths whiz, go and look it up. Um, maths was one of my worst subjects in school. I don't do numbers. <laughs> if you say numbers to me, my brain melts. Numbers. Um, on the whole, like, I, I, sorry if I'm jumping the gun here, and I, I, but I, I don't know if this was a Turing Enigma um, discovery or not, but um, do you know about uh, Coventry? I'm aware of Coventry. Uh, the, um, the, 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 oh my God, uh, uh, my words are not working. It's been such a long time. Um, uh, suppose, right, okay, so I'll just tell it. And if, if you know where we're going and if you've got it in your script, you just stop me. Um, supposedly, um, how it worked was obviously during the Blitz, um, obviously we couldn't stop anything going on. Supposedly, as the story goes, uh, we had figured out some of the German communications and figured out how to crack some codes. And we figured out that Germany was planning on bombing Coventry. Um, and what we didn't want to do is give away too early that we knew they were going to do it. So then the government had a decision to make. Either let Coventry be bombed and keep the secret that we know how to crack their codes or evacuate Coventry stop the or stop the bombing from happening and run the risk of them finding out oh they already they know they know um and the decision was made to let Coventry burn I um, mean I live close to Coventry and fair enough it's a shithole but I, th I think that genuinely did happen they did have to pick and choose what battles they fought because the seconds that the Nazis knew that their, their codes have been cracked they would have completely changed it and all this work would have been for nothing so yeah they did have to pick and choose so I have no doubt they let Coventry burn um, I live yeah. close to Coventry and when I say it's a shithole it is a shithole and it's all thanks to the world, <laughs> Second World War 
Um, it used to be a really like medieval town, as you, you just imagine a British medieval town, really lovely, really picturesque. It got flattened. The Germans flattened it, and they yeah. needed to rebuild it quickly and cheaply. So now it's all grey concrete, and it feels mm. oh, it's so lifeless and horrible. I hate it. It's one of the worst places on earth. Sorry if you're from Coventry, but like christ it's not it's not good but then you get the old cathedral they built the Coventry cathedral is beautiful they have that next to the old cathedral which is the ruins of what was blown up a sort of a memorial but coventry was one of britain's biggest like where the factories were so without coventry we wouldn't have won the war that's where most things were made so it was heavily targeted Mm. well funny enough like saying like during world war ii a government allowed a bombing of a city to go ahead for many many reasons that happened in world war ii and yesterday was a particular anniversary ah yeah um, it was wasn't it and you wonder when that conspiracy theories come out and go oh the government knew about it and it's like yeah totally because the government has done it before potentially we don't know we simply who don't knows? know who knows? we'll invite alex jones on and see what he's got to say about it oh fucking hell no way i don't have like 50 million dollars to pay out to anyone <laughs> yeah but um it is fascinating, isn't it? And then obviously Britain was not... We talk about our the blitz of Britain and our cities being flattened. Then then one thing we never really talk about is Dresden and what the British did in Dresden. Um, mm. That was bad. Yeah. That was when we had literally won the war. We were taking Berlin. We were like, we're fine. We got this sorted. And then for some reason we were like, let's firebomb the fuck out of Dresden and kill millions of civilians or hundreds of thousands for no reason. It is, yeah. It, it, it's 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 a massive controversial topic in the UK, actually. Surprisingly, uh, a lot of people do see it as a war crime, and a lot obviously defend it. So, it, genuinely, there is a uh, two sides to this in the UK. Yeah, and on on the picking battles as well, there is stories that the Allies knew that the Holocaust was going on, and they had a choice. They had a choice to either bomb the camps and kill all the Germans, but then kill all the people in the camps at the same time, or let it continue without killing the civilians or the, the innocent oh. people who were in the camps. And what a fucking decision that is. Obviously, Can't. they chose to not bomb them and liberate them um, when they could. I love it. We're getting into Conspiracy Corner. I've got one more, World War Two based um, <laughs> I think it might have come up in our Churchill series. I'm not sure. Um, but there's a, did you know there's a story? Um, there's a, a particular moment during World War Two when the British bombed the French Navy. Yeah, this genuinely happened. That's a fact. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think because it was a the, point where France had been sort of mainly taken over by Germany. So um, I think their their boats were off the coast of Africa and they'd lost, the French Navy had lost and their boats were just sort of sat there and the Germans yeah. were going to come and take them. And the British were like, look, you can either give us your ships or we're going to sink you because we can't have Germany taking your ships. And for some bizarre reason, the French turned around and were like, no, we you can't have our ships. Even though we're yeah. on the same side, bro. So we're like, yeah, fine. We're like, and then we sank. We'll not, have, we- we'll not have an Englishman step on our ships. And it's like, bro, who do you think is going to save you? <laughs> and so we were like, okay, fine. But the Germans aren't having them either. So we sank that. We fired upon the French and sank <laughs> their ships. Crazy. It's crazy. Like a thousand Frenchmen died or something. <laughs> It's not just, funny. I, That's not funny. That bit's not funny. It, the, the scenario is, is quite silly I think and as funny. A, as an Englishman, for some reason, we're all born with this instinct to not like it? the french yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just thousands of years of history of being at war with the french just really born into us if you'd like to know so, a little bit more about the french stuff you can uh, listen to james's 
long monarchy episode where he did it goes into a little detail about every single english monarch that uh, includes a lot of them fighting the french that's quite topical at the minute as well isn't it we do have a whole monarchy one out people like the monarchy at the minute we also have a queen elizabeth one out but fair warning we it's not it might not be favorable so maybe not the time but oh, and anyway the princess diana one but that is controversial they're all interesting people interesting people we'll do a charles one next even though i think he's fairly boring yeah well anyway that was um uh oh god conspiracy corner done we'll, we'll move on from there yeah let's back on to alan cheering so obviously the war's over huzzah and everyone knew that alan was a genius and they wanted to employ him he was commissioned to create the pilot ace another step towards creating the first ever computer also, strangely, he also um, nearly competed in the Olympics as a marathon runner. He was a very, a very keen runner. Oh, like yeah, that. a man of many talents. Uh, and he also soon developed the Turing test. This worked out whether a machine possessed the ability to have human-level intelligence and began developing studies towards the first creation of AI, a man well ahead of his time. Right, that genuinely fascinates me because I've, I've heard of the Turing test and if you've seen like the film Ex Machina or basically any film that has a sentient robot in it they mention the words Turing um, mm. and test in the same sentence generally um, how the I, I'm very like at what point I, I find that amazing like at what point does he start getting into like you know robotics in a way to the or even artificial intelligence like that's that's crazy that he was even thinking about that stuff it is well ahead of its time, isn't it? Um, I think when we think of AI, we think of like robots and things like that. But he, his was literally just intelligent computers. Hmm. Which is literally, I'm reading off a laptop now and this computer is incredibly intelligent. I don't know how it works, but it knows how I work. Oh yeah, my laptop is vastly more intelligent than I am. <laughs> They're going to rise up and kill us all one day. Yeah. So... In 1951, Alan met a man named Arnold Murray in Manchester. Alan wooed this 19-year-old gentleman, and soon they were seeing each other very often and spending nights at Alan's house. Murray, however, was aware of Turing's wealth and was aware as a well-paid mathematician, and he would begin stealing money from Turing's wallet. And although Turing knew about it, he sort of just let it slide. Um, this was until 1952, when Turing's house was burgled. He rang the police and accused Murray, having realised he had gone too far this time. Murray had spoken to his friend about the relationship he was having with Turing, and it's said that his friend was the one that burgled Turing's house, and naturally reported this to the police, or Alan reported it to the police, and the friend was arrested. Now, this is where the story takes a turn, and if you're unaware of Alan Turing's story, this is going to come as a bit of a shock. Up until this point, we've been discussing a man who saved millions of lives of his fellow countrymen and served his country well. If anything, he was one of Britain's greatest war heroes and potentially Britain would have starved to death without his work. This, to Britain, evidently did not matter anymore because this is 1952 and Alan Turing is a homosexual. The man who allegedly burgled his house told the police everything about Turing's relationship with Murray and decided that the crime of burglary was insignificant. The police turned up to Turing's door and arrested him for gross indecency for having relations with another man. Murray was also arrested. Whilst Alan was released on bail, Arnold Murray went to jail. So I'm just going to stop there for a second. Everything that we've just said about the Enigma Code, creating computers, saving millions of lives, this is, what, 1952? 1952. So that's seven years after the war ended. 
and he has been arrested for being homosexual. I know. it. It's one of those... Uh, Britain has a dodgy past. Most nations have a dodgy past. We And, and, and a lot of them, we like to hide from it. Um, and, yeah, it's one of those... He's, a, as you put it, a war hero, and that's not enough. That doesn't mean anything. And it's, it's something that's... It's just not very nice. We have a dodgy past with it when it comes to, you know... Um, uh, uh, homosexual males and and you know and and females and other people of LGBTQ plus uh, persuasions and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's not nice. It's just I think it's just bizarre that the country that he he effectively saved his country and turned turned its back on him, which is deeply upsetting. So Alan saved his country from starving and yet was being treated like he had committed a serious crime. He pled guilty and he was offered a choice. He could either spend one year in jail or he could be chemically castrated and he opted for the latter. Female hormones are released into the thigh by an implant and it's designed to essentially make you impotent. It also kills any libido and eventually renders you numb. Alan's security clearance was taken back and he could no longer travel abroad. So everything he had was taken away from him. Really? I don't... Literally everything. Like, I look, far be it from me to try and, you know, say what he should or shouldn't do. But I do, I, I do wonder why he chose the castration over a year in prison. I've pondered this a lot and the one thing that I think of without any research into it is the fact that maybe homosexual men feared for their lives in prison yeah good point good point yeah I hadn't... or there or there, there is the threat of rape yeah i hadn't thought of that actually that's a really good point um but then and then thinking my next thing why why chemically castration right why are they castrating homosexual men because what are they what are they getting out of it they cast they're castrating them so they cannot reproduce but then they're they're homosexual men they're not you know, chances are that's not going to happen anyway. I don't understand why they the, needed the main to do part that. is to is is to create the impotence and kill any libido. So then you literally cannot have sexual relations oh, with another man. Sorry, yeah, I've been dumb, massive dumb dumb there. That makes sense. It's the libido part. It's to just stop him being gay. Effectively, yeah, he he he'd be unable to have sex. Ugh, that's and then and then uh, why can't he leave the country? I don't get that. Uh, they, they just they, they just revoked his. Well, I guess when you commit a serious crime and your passport gets taken away from you, it's effectively the same. That's so stupid. That's so stupid. Like, if you don't like if you don't like a particular brand of person, you don't just try and keep them in your home. You want them to leave, right? So if they don't like him that mm. much, let him leave and go somewhere else. Hmm. Yeah, there's not much logic to any That's of this. So really. infuriating. It's, uh... Yeah. The country he saved from the Nazis turned its back on him, and those implants would increase cancer risk and also cause depression. Mm. In 1953, the implant was removed, and Alan himself believed he was on the way to becoming heterosexual, as he kept having dreams about sexual relations with women. His conviction meant his mother turned cold, and his brother was just in denial. But things seemed to get better. He got a new computing job, and his family relations appeared to be on the mend. In 1954, Alan's housekeeper turned up at his house. And now let's just travel back in time a second to Alan's first stint in America. 
Whilst he was there, he went to see Snow White in the cinema, and he really enjoyed the scenes featuring the apples dipped in poison. So back to 1954, the housekeeper walked upstairs to find his laboratory room open, and then noticed Alan lying down in his bed. He had passed away, and next to his bed, a half-eaten apple. The official coroner report is that Alan had laced the apple with cyanide and took a bite. Uh, Much like the scene in Snow White with the poison apple. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. For decades, arguments were had about whether Alan committed suicide or whether the apple was accidentally laced while it was in the lab because he was working with lots of chemicals. However, a quite recent version of the coroner's report has been released and it claims the amount of cyanide in his system rendered it effectively impossible for this to be accidental ingestion. Mm. Yeah. Therefore, Alan Turing had committed suicide. What do you think? I have killed him. He 100% committed suicide based on everything that had happened to him. The conviction, the, the chemical castration, the taking all of his titles away, not letting him leave the country. It... It ruined him. Yeah. That's such a fucking shame, man. Like, one of your best minds, one of Britain's best minds, and you can't let him be just because, you know, he's, you know, himself. Oh. It's, it, it's, it's it, it makes me angry about Britain as a whole because we've got a lot to work on, but we'll get to that at the end. I'll sort of have a little comment on that. I don't even have, um, sorry, like, I, I don't even have anger for it. I'm just disappointed. Just seriously yeah, disappointing. It is very disappointing. There was nothing made of his passing at all. Nothing in the press, nothing like that. He was a war hero who was left to be forgotten as nothing more than a monstrous homosexual. It wasn't until 2009 when the then Prime Minister Gordon Brown issued a formal apology to Alan. And then on Christmas Eve 2013, the late Queen Elizabeth posthumously pardoned him. Well... Which is all well and good for him. Yeah, but... it's all well and good. It's a bit late though, isn't it? But also, if we are talking about the Queen, she was on the throne when Alan committed suicide. Yeah, good point. Yeah, it's under her reign that this was allowed to go on. But then she's not. She's yeah. apolitical. She's not allowed to be political in any way, so I suppose she's not allowed to say anything about it, whether she thinks about it or not. This is true. This is true. Um, and in 2017, Turing's law was passed. This pardoned all homosexual men that were convicted under the laws that outlawed homosexuality up until 1967 when that law was repealed. However, some Conservative MPs attempted to stop this law from passing, claiming it would also pardon paedophiles. It's crazy that in modern society, the mindset that drove Alan Turing to suicide is still very much in place and in positions of power. Oh, still so very fucking much in place. They're still going ahead and letting, like, fucking conversion therapy happen in some religious areas, aren't they? Mm. Oh, no, no, this is bollocks. And uh, it's so fucking annoying. And uh, I don't know. Why is it like everyone always feels they're on the right side of history? And I feel like we're on the right side of history for the most part of everything. And it's like, how can people be so silly that they don't see it? I don't get it. I I, I can't wrap my head around it. I, 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 again, I don't know. To, to some people, they say it's just their generation. It's the way they were raised, the world they were brought up in. But I think everyone has a duty of education. Like grow if the world's changing you've got to change with it you can't stay being a miserable old bigot for your entire life yeah, yeah absolutely humans are like humans are famous for adapting to their sur- surroundings and 
new world environments and yet some just refuse to and that's all it is isn't it this is where the respect your elders thing sort of bothers me a little bit I, I generally disagree with the term respect your elders. I think you should have respect for everyone, but I think you should have respect for people that have earned it. I think just because someone's older than me, if you're a cunt, you're a cunt. I'm I'm not going to respect you because you were born before me. I don't care if you were born in fucking 1945, like your parents fought in the war, you've grown up in a different Britain. It, it, it's irrelevant because you're here now. Fucking learn. Take some responsibility. No, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. I'm more likely to respect someone that has respect for other people, regardless of who they are, than someone who wants to claim that their bigotry is just inbuilt and they can't change. Exactly. So I like to think that when we're old and grey, we will have be in a completely different world to we are now, because bloody hell, our species is advancing very quickly. It's on us to learn. Oh, and I like to think that I, I will I will. Yeah, man. I wanna I wanna adapt and when I'm an old man and I have hopefully grandkids and whatnot, I want them to teach me about all the new things that are going on. Listen, I've recently turned twenty nine years old. I am a very, very rapidly approaching thirty years old, and I have staff members now at my work that I manage that are ten years and more some younger than me, and I can't <laughs> understand half the words they say sometimes. And I'm having to learn new lingo, right? And if I can do it, <laughs> old people can get on the fact that people can love whoever they want to love. It's especially when it makes no difference to their life in the fucking slices. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard this phrase used a lot. I don't have an issue with gay people. I just don't want to see it. I don't have an issue with people being bigots. I just don't want to hear it. Do it in your own house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the problem is some people do it in their own home and they uh, teach it to their kids and then their kids... You know, it's a new generation of it. This is the worry, isn't it? This is... Um, yeah, I'll get on to that at the end because that's a fascinating conversation. But we'll, we'll, I've got one little more paragraph and then we'll discuss that. So as I sit here writing and reading this off of a computer, I can thank Alan Turing for his works in computing and effectively creating them as we know and love today. His work during the war is said to have shortened it by two years, saving millions of lives. It is a shame, however, that Britain took one of its greatest ever heroes and pushed him to the point of suicide, mm. simply for being homosexual. The laws that saw him and many others jailed or chemically castrated are long gone, but these mindsets still remain. And I could go on forever about the wrongdoings of British history. In fact, I've genuinely published work on it. I've never thought I've, I've never been able to say that about anything before, but I've actually published work yeah. on this. But for now, let's remember Alan Turing as the hero he was and not the monster the establishment killed him as. Here, here. So, speaking on the wrongdoings of British history, fuck, this is my area now. So we were talking about people being educated by their parents in some sort of bigoted way, and it is possible. I, in some of the work I published recently, I was talking to a teacher, a history teacher, and my work was centred around um, comparing our education system with Germany's about teaching about historic ills and wrongdoings of the past. And how Britain sort of teaches about colonialism. And it is good to see that the curriculum is actually changing. Um, when we were in school, we didn't learn about colonialism in the slightest. But she said that she was in class one day and she made a comment about colonialism or something like that. And a voice at the end of the, the classroom went, oh, you're so left wing or something Whoa. like that. And it was like, how the fuck does this like 14, 15 year old kid, like why are they piping up with something? I, I, I don't think learning about colonialism is political i don't think it's right wing or left wing i think it's just learning the facts about where you come from and how where you're sitting today is a result of a long line of fucking wrongdoing 
Yeah. This is this is also gets into the the question at the minute as well of the monarchy. Should the monarchy stand and should not? It's very relevant at the minute. Um, and people keep saying it doesn't. You shouldn't have this conversation right now. It's about respect. But then also you've got to think about the institution that the monarchy represents to a lot of people. It's not just. It's not beef with the queen as a woman. I don't think anyone's saying that, and nor should they. I don't think anyone has direct beef with the queen. It's what she represents because to some people she represents an ideology, an institution that massacred their people, that stole their land. Yeah. And I think they're well well within their right to say something, but then I can sit here, it's very easy for me to sit here as a white British man and be like, I love the Queen, love the monarchy, long long may they reign. I wouldn't, because I'm not a fucking flag shagger, but it's very easy for me to do that because I'm not the victim of colonialism. Yeah. Whereas other people are. Why are we talking about colonialism on the Shearing episode? I don't know. I'm just angry at the minute about a lot of things. No, I'm with you. Like, I know a few parents um, who whose kids I do genuinely worry about as they grow up. Um, just in regards to the exposure they will have from their parents' beliefs. And some of these people are young people and there's no necessary reason for them to have these attitudes. But it stems from their parents that they learnt it from and they may sometimes, some of them... They live in more remoter areas of the country where, you know, they don't get to meet other people of different faiths, religions, uh, religions, races, creeds, all this kind of stuff. Um, so they have an immediate bigoted reaction. And yeah, and I worry about them passing it on to their kids as well. It's, uh, that's all we can ever do is educate, educate, educate. And it, it is worrying, but people... I like to think that people will then form their own opinions. Um, I think going off to university and moving away from your house is a big oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. Some, one of the best things that you can do you, is move away. Because you learn, you learn so much more about how the world works, about other people's opinions or the cultures. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Nothing bothers me more than the fucking gammons on the internet that think they can comment despite the fact they were born in one town they'll die in one town they'll never leave Mm -hmm. that town their spouses whoever the fuck they went to school with and there's nothing wrong with that if that makes you happy absolute power to you but you also have a duty to educate yourself on life beyond the borders of what you know i mean i know so i know some people that were born in essex and they have never left essex and they are 80 odd plus years old now and they will never leave essex they've not even left the country or the county it's mad it's mad but like, I guess people find comfort, and I'm not going to take people's comfort away from them if it makes them happy. By all means, do it. But just know that then your standpoint and your view on things is very small. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way of putting it. And that's Alan Turing. We went on a bit of a rant <laughs> yeah. at the end there, but um, there you go. A great man who cut two years off World War Two that Britain killed I'm about for being gay. to tell you a fact that's not a fact, but is interesting nonetheless. Um there was Go. a rumour that went around that the Macintosh Apple logo is actually uh, inspired what? is actually inspired gonna... by the apple that Alan Turing took a bite out of that led to his death. Um, That's yeah. blown my mind. Unfortunately, it's not true. It was brought up to oh. Apple and said, is this true? And they said, no, this is not the origin of it. It is from Isaac Newton's apple that fell from the tree. Um, but they wish that they had thought of it because it would have been a better tribute. Well, just fucking just say yes <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah, let's just attribute yeah, it to you that. You could just lie. 
That is cool. I like that I as like a theory. That too. Well, yeah. Well, what a, what a great man. He genuinely saved millions and millions of lives, and the institution let him down. I'm glad that now he is recognised. And there was a there was a big call a few years ago about having him on our five pound note. Yeah, there was. There was. And we're really doing the money at the minute, so we could probably. Wasn't it Churchill that got it in the end? It is Churchill, yeah. You're never going to get Churchill off it, is it? He's there forever. No. We'll stick him on a 50 or something. I don't know. Yeah. Who's on a 50 note? I don't know. I've never had I a 50 note. I don't know either. Note. But they're really going to redo all the money. I can't wait to get my first Charles, Charles note. Yeah, Charles CR. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be cool. Rex. I need to renew my passport as well, so I'm going to get a, a king one. Ooh. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Right, his Majesty. Yeah. I always wanted to say it, and I actually got the opportunity to, and I said, the Queen is dead, long live the King. <laughs> I just kept saying it around work, bugging my uh, colleagues. <laughs> long live the King. I'm This week, I've just, any sort of like behaviour I've done that's a bit out of ordinary, I've followed it with, uh, well, it's what she would have wanted. That's how I'm just justifying <laughs> anything I do this week. Yeah, I mean, I did a bottle of rum the other night, it's what she would have wanted. It's what she would have wanted. <laughs> um, I saw an article the other day and I didn't even read it I just liked the idea the image that popped in my head more than the article would have told me um, and it was uh, what happens to the Queen's corgis now that she's gone and oh I, I, do you know the actual answer? I, I know the answer now as Andrew's taking him isn't he so he can use them yeah. as pillows um, but um, I my initial because as I said I didn't read the article because what I initially thought of I thought was funnier and it was the idea that they're buried with her alive still what in the fucking coffin that's been paraded around yeah just like, what was going to happen to the Queen's Corgis and it's like they're buried with her and it's like yeah they would they, I just like the idea of it <laughs> it made me laugh though, when I was half a bottle of rum in but and it's still I still find it funny I think they're good it's good they've gone with Andrew because at least they'll be well groomed yeah, there is that footage, isn't it? I don't know if you've seen it of him when he's going to look at all the flowers outside Windsor and he's there's a lady stood next to him and he sort of just rubs his hand down her back and then down her bottom. He's a sex offender. But anyway, let's move on from this again. Um, I'm happy to wrap up there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, this has been an episode of two halves, really, hasn't it? This We're talking about the Queen and the Royal Family and Alan Turing, so apologies guys but it's very much in our brains at the moment because the nation has bombarded it bombarded us with it yeah we'll be we'll be back to regular next week not talking about the queen well i don't know the funeral is next week so that could go on oh yeah but i'm away so unless we record or oh, maybe i don't know we'll see what happens who knows maybe, right maybe charles first. will die <laughs> i've got a writing episode and i've been out of the swing of it for a while <laughs> and do you know who it's going to be I do know who it's going to be. Uh, I'm going with another British icon in the naughty section. Um, a man called Mick Philpot. The name rings a bell, but I can't tell you why. So that's interesting. Uh, shall I give like a clue? All right. Uh, Mick Philpot, I believe it was like 2010 or 2012. I can't remember. Um, I've only just started doing the research for it. Uh, Mick Philpot... Um, a man of working class origins. Uh, unfortunately, his house burns down and many people die. That sounds lovely, Ryan. Can't wait for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. There's your clue. Uh, that's coming next week. So, yeah, look forward to that. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for being um, just brilliant with us. Uh, obviously, Mormons was such a huge uh, undertaking that you know regular scheduling just went out the window completely for the duration of that series. Um 
so one i just want to thank everybody for being so patient with us for everyone that's continued to tune in um and for the most part send us lots of messages of support saying you know how much you guys enjoyed the series so thank you very much everybody um yeah we'll, as james said going back to sort of more normal regular stuff um, we will take on some uh recommendations from listeners um going forward at some point but um maybe not ones that are so big unless i've got more time to do so um but yeah thank you very much everybody um if you would like to, uh, as it was my birthday recently, if you would like to support the show, you can do so on our Ko-fi page where you can donate to the show. You can send us just a one-time donation. Uh, thank you to Rowan uh, for sending us a donation fairly recently. Thank you very much. Um, it has helped. Oh, actually, that's what I can quickly announce. Um, we recently received a few more donations and it has now, for the second year running, meant that from your donations... Uh, the podcast has now made enough money to pay our distributor for the following year. So that will now be two years running that this podcast is basically self-funded and that comes from you guys supporting us. So thank you, thank you very much from the bottom of both of our hearts. Um, huzzah, three cheers for the, the listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that every day. Three cheers for the king. Just every day. Um, but yeah, no, on a serious note, thank you very, very much. Like I say, it, it, it's incredible. Two years running is basically self-funded. Like we don't almost, yeah, it. I've got no words for it. Um, so yeah, if you would like to continue to con- continue to support the show, please do so. Head over to the Kofi page. Um, if you would also like something more out of that, head to the merch store where you can pick up um, a hoodie as we're going into the autumnal season you may want a hoodie to accompany you. And I can't wait you, for hoodie season. Oh, I'm going to buy some because mine are faded. Um, and also, as well, as we are heading into the autumnal season, it's going to get cold. You're going to want a hot chocolate or a good cup of tea or even a cup of joe. Uh, buy a mug. Buy a mug. And you can take it to work. You can put it in like the cupboard. And then you'll go in and you'll go, who the fuck's been drinking out my TWPD mug? And there'll be someone sat there drinking out of it. And you're like, why are you drinking out my mug? And then they go, oh, I didn't realise it was yours. And you're like, it's definitely mine. It says TWPD. And they go, what's TWPD? And you go, it's my favourite podcast. It's That's what people do. And then they will also listen to the podcast. So you'll be doing a service to us. <laughs> that's that, quite a story you've created, but I'm sure you. that will happen. I have a rather good imagination. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, that's me. I've talked enough. Thank you very much. Join us next week. Mick Philpot. Anything else, James? Goodbye. Excellent. Goodbye.